Hi, I'm Steve Scott, and welcome to Knowing Him. Welcome to our first podcast of Knowing Him, uh, where our only goal is getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ more personally, more intimately, in a way that gives him the freedom to do anything he wants with us. Uh, we want to be on his side, not just recruit him to be on our side. So I'm glad you're here. And you know, Jesus promised that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, that he would be right in their midst. Well, there's three of us right now for sure. There's me, there's my son, Sean, who's the engineer, and there's you. So we're actually on the upper end of that qualification to have Jesus in our midst. So let's start with just a, a brief prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get to know your son the way you would have us know him. We thank you, Father, that we get to know you through him and through his words the way you want to be known. Father, I'm so thankful for this, and I pray a special blessing on our listeners today that uh, they would become more and more excited about your dear son and, of course, about you. And we thank you now for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where do we start? There's so many things. Did you know that Jesus made over 1,900 statements that are recorded in the New Testament? 1,900. Uh, in John 10, 26, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, it's all about following Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to get to know him, and he's given us this glorious voice that we're to follow. It's his words. In fact, did you know Jesus made 21 promises about his spoken words that he did not make about the rest of the scripture? And there's a reason for that. We'll look at that later. Uh, Jesus gave us 80 conditional promises in his statements uh, where he said, if you do this, I'll do that. Uh, you do this and the Holy Spirit will do that. You do this and the Father will do that. 80 conditional promises that can become the very basis of our faith and growing our faith. Um, we're going to look in this podcast uh, throughout the days, weeks, months, and if the Lord uh, allows us years, we're going to look at these incredible statements of Christ. Um, at the transfiguration, God said something that was pretty amazing. Uh, if you remember, Jesus took uh, James, John, and Peter, his inner circle, up high up onto a high mountain. And as they were there, Jesus was transfigured. His face actually began to glow white. His, uh, his garments turned uh, as bright as uh, the sun or his face did. And just amazing. They were knocked down by what they were looking at. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and they were talking with him. And these are the two most revered prophets of the Old Testament, the two most revered prophets of all of Israel. Uh, God blessed them, God honored them, uh, God exalted them among men. 
And uh, so Peter, being Peter, took the initiative and said, Lord, it's a good thing that we're here. Uh, would you like me to make three tabernacles or three shelters, three monuments, depending on what translation you look at, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? Well, when he said that, right as he was saying that, they were enveloped by a white cloud. Uh, they were terrified then by the angry voice of God. And how do we know it's the angry voice of God? Well, when God spoke at Jesus' uh, baptism, nobody was terrified. Uh, in fact, they were in awe. But here, as soon as he began to speak, uh, the disciples fell on their faces and it said they were terrified, okay? That's probably the angry voice. And especially when you look at it in the original language and the force, it, it's in a very forceful tense. And, and here's what he said. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now, wait a minute. Moses and Elijah, and look what God does. He, he's almost, it's like him saying, how dare you put anybody on the pedestal that belongs only to my son? My son isn't a sinner. Moses and Elijah are. Sure, they're prophets, but they needed to be cleansed from their sins in order to have eternal life. And guess who was going to do the cleansing? Jesus Christ was going to pay the price for their sins. Jesus Christ isn't just a prophet. He's not just another man. He's not just another character in the New Testament. He is the living word of God. He is the son of God, the eternal son of God, who literally we find out in later scripture that God trusted him to create the entire world. Everything that is, according to John chapter 1, Jesus created. So God is insulted that Peter would demean him and his son by wanting to give Moses and Elijah the level of honor that he was willing to give them. Well, uh, Jesus stands alone. You know, in fact, I, I spent many years in Hollywood writing, directing, and producing television shows. And do you know that um, most shows have a leading male and a leading female, and they have a lot of supporting actors and actresses. Well, in the stage of life, God reveals to us, and you'll see it as we go, that there's only one leading man, one leading character, life's leading character, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody else in the Bible, the writers, the prophets, the poets, uh, the characters that we see, everyone else, including the Apostle Paul, including the Apostle John and James and Peter, everyone else is in the role of a supporting actor. The role of a supporting actor is not to detract or detour an audience's attention away from the person in the leading role. It's literally a supporting role that helps boost uh, or uh, more clearly define the actor in the leading role. Jesus is life's man in the leading role. And so that's what God is saying at the transfiguration. And he's saying 
that we are to hear him, hear Christ. Now, we're going to look at that a little bit more uh, deeply as we go, but right now I want to ask you a question. What do you think are the two most important questions any believer can ever ask or have answered? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the two most important questions are, number one, what does God want from me? And in your case, what does God want from you? Wouldn't that be glorious if you could really know what God wants from you? I know whether you're in the middle of a tragedy, uh, adversity, a trial, whether you're depressed or sad or discouraged, think about how incredible it would be if God entered your room right now and said, my son or my daughter, here's what I want from you. Wow, would that be amazing? So question number one, what does God want from me? And the second most important question, but is actually just as important as the first one, is how can I give God what I want? I'm sorry, how can I give God what he wants? I automatically give him what I want. We're, we tend to have a nature that's very self-centered, so that's not a question. What does God want from me, and how can I give him what he wants? Well, uh, God actually didn't leave that a mystery. In Jeremiah uh, 9, 23, and 24, God answers this incredible question, what does he want from us. What does he want from you? What does he want from me? Once again, the reference is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Here's what he says. Now, let me just say before I quote it, I don't have the scriptures open in front of me. There are so many translations today that my mind muddles up a little bit and mixes, uh, maybe it mixes the New American Standard with the NIV and the New King James and and the old King James, so I just quote it as God brings it to my mind, not from any particular translation. I do tend to favor the NIV and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Uh, so, uh, but here's what I recall from that. Literally, God said, he's gonna answer this first question. He said, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. So he's saying all the things we tend to, to get excited about, it's okay to get excited, but that's not to be the core of what we glory in. What does that mean? Well, I have one son who uh, one time won a national championship. He won the national championship in track and field in high school in the event of high jump. He was, became the number one high jumper in America. And... Uh, my son Sean and I were there. This was years ago in 2009 at the Junior Olympics. And there were 45 jumpers that started. We're watching. I have my wife on the phone. She's back home. And uh, he's there for his final attempt. And he makes it. And all of a sudden, after years of work and, and thousands of hours of practice, he becomes the national champion. And I, I told my wife, he did it. He did it. He's the national champion. All the training, all the work that he's put into it for years. In one six-second effort, he became the national champion. I was glorying 
in that moment. Well, God says, let him who glories glory in this. Now he's going to tell us what he wants us to glory in, what we're really, truly all about. Here it comes. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and intimately knows me, the Lord God. Then he defines himself, who exercises loving kindness, which is another word for mercy and love, loving kindness, righteousness, and judgment or justice on the earth, for I delight in these things. So God says, answers that question, what does he want from me and you? He wants you and I to come into a level of knowing him in an intimate way. That word in the Hebrew means intimately knows. Now, what does that mean? It means that we come into a connection or a union with him, a union with him where, where he has the freedom to, to interact with us and, and let us know his will for different things. And then we enter into a union about his will. And he tells us not only to intimately know him, but he tells us who he is. And who he is is a God that is really defined in three character qualities. Number one, loving kindness. That's the same word that in many places throughout the scripture is mercy. Uh, and so he delights, he says, in exercising mercy. By the way, that separates him from every god of mythology, every god of every tribe, American tribes and ancient tribes. It separates him from any other god. Why? You see, it's that word that's translated loving kindness or mercy. Mercy, by definition, requires an offender, an offense, and a victim. Okay, so if I want to exercise grace to everybody on the front row at church, whether I know them or not, they're all going to get a $100 bill. That's grace. But I can't exercise mercy toward any of them. Why? Because nobody's offended me. But if after church, one comes up to me and for no reason that I know of, just punches me in the face, now I have an opportunity. I can demand justice. I can exact vengeance or justice, or I can, with that person, exercise mercy. I can return his offense with forgiveness, kindness, love. Like Jesus said, I can turn the other cheek. I can bless him. Well, guess what? That's what God does. And exercising mercy separates him from every other God because every other God of man's making returns uh, offense with judgment and condemnation and retribution. Oftentimes it way outweighs the offense. Not so with our God. He, he says, I delight in these things. I delight in loving kindness. I delight in righteousness. I delight in justice. And of course, the cross, we see all three. We see God's incredible mercy toward us. We see the righteousness of God that demands perfect holiness that we can't give and demands judgment, condemnation, execution of sin 
and Jesus took on our judgment. So number one answer to the first question is, what does he want from me? He wants me to intimately know him. Now, Jesus went one step further. Do you know there's only one place in the entire Bible where eternal life is defined? It's not defined by David or Solomon or a prophet. Uh, it's not defined by Peter, Paul, James, or John. It's defined by Jesus himself. You see in John 17, 3, when he was praying that incredible intercessory prayer for his followers, for his believers, for those that surrounded him and for you and me. Listen to what he says. He said, and this is eternal life, that they might, and here's the Greek word for intimacy, that they might intimately know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you enter into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. Once again, and this is eternal life, that they might intimately know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that, the answer to question number one, what does God want from me? He wants intimacy. He wants you to intimately know him. Now, have you ever heard of a guy named Chuck Norris? Uh, chances are if you uh, are over the age of uh, 15 and you breathe and you've watched television in almost any country in the world, you know about Chuck Norris. You know who he is. He was Walker, Texas Ranger. More than a billion people a week watched him when it went into syndication. Played in Russia three times a day of all places. But it played all over the world. And then, of course, there were the wonderful fun facts about Chuck, like when Chuck uh, does a push-up, he doesn't push himself up, he pushes the earth down. All these amazing fun facts that we... So Chuck is a legend, and chances are you know something about him. You may not know that he is a six-time world champion in karate in his younger days. Uh, you may not know that he did more than 30 full-length movies. Um, you may not know that he absolutely loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves his wife, Gina, and he loves his kids. Uh, you may know some things about him. I'll bet you don't know what his real name is. Well, Chuck became a, my partner in a business called The Total Gym uh, 26 years ago. We've been partners all that time. Uh, we became dear friends. Uh, we would we would enjoy weekends at his ranch. My kids absolutely loved his kids and vice versa. And of course, we love Chuck and Gina and uh, they have expressed tremendous love for us. So it's been a beautiful, wonderful relationship. But there, can you see the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody? Uh, if our family was in an airport and Chuck saw us, he would drop his bag, run over, grab my kids, give them hugs, lift them up. And, uh, and he knows them well enough that he'd give them little kisses on the cheeks or the forehead. That is because we have a relationship with Chuck Norris. We know his real name. His real name is Carlos. Uh, he is a wonderful man and uh, just a brother. My son's shaking his head. Yes, we love the Norrises and they have shown lots of love for us more than anybody deserves. That's the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. And 
Jesus doesn't want you to just know about him. You know, Bible study is a wonderful thing, but it really doesn't bring you into intimacy with God, with Christ. You get to know about them, but not necessarily entering into an intimate relationship and fellowship with them. Knowing him is all about that. We want you to come into intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, through him, we come into intimacy with his dear father and our father God. So uh, now, not only is that God's desire, but Jesus defines knowing him as eternal life. So I started coming to know Christ intimately when I left atheism at the age of 16 and became a passionate believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's been a while, and I've enjoyed this incredible, miraculous relationship. If you don't see miracles in your life and around you, uh, and you know Christ, then either you're blind to the, what's really going on around you, or you simply haven't learned to recognize miracles. And uh, But that's one thing that's going to happen as we go through these podcasts. You are going to start to see the miraculous. Jesus said in John 14, 12, uh, He who believes in me, the things that I do, he will do also, and greater things will he do because I go unto my Father. Now that word greater is a quantitative, not a qualitative work. None of us are going to surpass the quality of Christ's work. He finished the work of the Father when he redeemed mankind. Obviously, we'll never see anything like that. But we'll see more things because he went to be with the Father and we continue here on earth. And so I have seen hundreds and hundreds of miracles, um, most of them not prayed for and yet experienced. And you probably have too when you learn how to recognize them. And we'll, we'll get into that in a future podcast. Okay, so God's desire is that we come to know him intimately. How do we do that? Well, Jesus answers that question uh, at the Last Supper in John chapter 14. Now, John 13, 14, 15, and 16 all take place uh, the night of Jesus' arrest. And he, it's amazing. In those chapters, he gives these last-minute instructions to the disciples. Now, they're so bewildered and dumbfounded and and don't have a clue what's really going on. And so they're confused, they're troubled, they're worried. And uh, Jesus starts out, John 14, with, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, trust also in me. And um, he was trying to put them at peace. And he gives all these amazing instructions and keys, keys to having their prayers answered. I mean, how would you like to have Jesus himself in your room telling you how you can have your prayers answered. Well, he does that at the Last Supper in John chapter 15. I'll give you a preview. He says, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything you want and it'll be done unto you. For the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. The key to having prayers answered according to Christ here, and he's telling his own disciples and he's telling us, is letting him abide in us, or having us abide in him, excuse me, rather. We abide, that means we live and dwell in him and in what he loves and what he desires. And part two of that is 
letting his words reside in us. You see, like I said, Jesus made 21 promises about his words that set them apart from every word ever spoken by any human being. And we're going to get into that in our next podcast. So let's look at Jesus' answer in John 14 on how we can come into intimacy with God. He says, starting in verse 21, He who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Part one of intimacy with between two people, one person starts to love the other person. He who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Here comes part two. And he who loves me, my father will love, and I too will love, and I will manifest myself. Some translations say reveal myself. Others say show myself. I will manifest myself, reveal myself, show myself to him. So there we have two-way intimacy. We love the Father and the Son by hearing and doing what Jesus said. He, in turn, loves us by revealing his heart and mind to us. And it's all tied up in his words. Now, Judas, not Iscariot, the second Judas, not the one that betrayed Christ, said, Lord, how are you going to reveal yourself to us? What about the world? Here it comes. Jesus said, anyone. So that's every man, woman, boy, and girl. That's you, your children, grandchildren, your wife. Anyone who has my teachings. So here he uses a different word than command. Has my teachings and keeps them or obeys them. My Father will love him, and we, the Father and Son, will come to him and make our abode. In the Greek, it's literally our continual dwelling place with that person. So this is intimacy. We love him with his love language. God's love language is not any one of the five love languages that uh, are identified by Gary Chapman in his wonderful book, The Five Love Languages, but rather it's revealed here by Jesus himself. God's love language is that we hear what the Son says and by faith, empowered by grace, begin to do what he says in our daily moment-by-moment -moment activity. Um, I share this with pastors and Christian leaders that I, I meet and uh, I, I say, can you see it? Can you see that God's love language is hearing and doing what Jesus said? And when they see this, they go, wow, I never saw that before. And uh, then I give them the hard question. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And um, do you know how many commands Jesus gave his followers? And sometimes they'll guess, well, we know three. Well, we know five. How about 10? No, that I've counted more than 153 commands in those 1900 statements. And when I tell that to a pastor or a Christian leader, they go, oh, I can't even keep the big 10. How am I supposed to keep 153? Well, nobody can keep the big 10 except Jesus. He's the only one that can fill the 10 of the law. But Jesus' commands, unlike the law, are not burdensome. They're empowering, so they don't weigh us down. They literally fill our heart and our soul 
and our mind with rocket fuel so we can soar over the obstacles that can confront us. Uh, for example, his command, come unto me, all you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a command. Is that hard? Is that a terrible thing? And you think, well, gee, if I come to him, maybe he's going to be like a judge or a policeman or my high school principal. No, listen to what he says. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's his rabbinical yoke, not a harness for an ox. Take my yoke upon you, and here it comes. Learn from me. Now, is he like a school teacher or an arrogant professor who's going to say, this is how it is, my way or the highway? No. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, or I am gentle and humble of heart. He's gentle. He's, come on in. Come on in. Wow. I'm so glad you're here. I've got a lot of things to share with you today. I know you're hurting. I know you may be dying inside, but you know what? I'm going to give you some solutions today that are going to change everything. What kind of counseling session is that? And yet that's one of his commands. In fact, in that one statement in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus gives us three commands. Number one, that we come unto him. You know, our nature when we're hurting or burdened is to go to everybody else. We go to our family. We go to our pastor. Uh, we go to a Bible study leader. We go to our best friend. That's all good. But guess what? Jesus says, come to me first. Come to me. What a great command. Can you believe there's more than 150 of those? Then he says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke he's talking about isn't a yoke of a harness. It's called a rabbinical yoke. It's the unique and specific teachings of any rabbi for his followers and disciples. And Jesus goes on to say, and my yoke, unlike everybody else's that dump on you and pile stuff on you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So commands us to take on his yoke. And third command is learn from him. You say, well, how am I supposed to learn from Jesus? 1,900 statements. Do you know there's not a single important issue in your life, not one, that Jesus hasn't specifically addressed, answered the questions, and given you the solutions? Problem is, most people don't know what Jesus said. I have been with world-renowned Christian leaders, and three or four questions show me they really don't know what Jesus said. Oh, they know a statement here and a statement there. They may know the Bible backwards and forwards and inside out. But that's not why Christ came. Christ came as the final and ultimate word. Read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the ancient times, uh, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has sent us his son and given us his word. And the entire universe is held together by the power of Jesus' words. That's what Hebrews 1 says. And uh, read it when we're done. It's amazing. Read what John said in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So, once again, 
Question number one, what does God want from me? Answer, he wants you and me to have intimacy with him. Is that amazing? The God who created the universe, the God who sacrificed his only son, who loves you more than your mother does by a trillion times. That God wants intimacy with you amazingly with me i can't even hardest thing it is for me to believe by faith isn't that god can move mountains through me it's that he could forgive me and love me because i know my own heart same with you okay answer to question number two how do i give him what he wants simply stated to hear and do what his son said now, we're going to get into that in our next podcast. Our next podcast is going to just be amazing to you because we're going to look at the 21 promises that Jesus made about his words that he didn't make about any other words. And this is going to begin to give you the keys you need to open up heaven's vault. To get riches? No. To get the kind of life that you desire that is not only fulfilling and satisfying to you but glorifies God you know Jesus said in John 4 I'm sorry John uh, uh, what was it John 10 he said uh, the thief comes to steal destroy and kill but I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly he wants you to have an abundant life not abundance in riches necessarily. In fact, the most, the richest man I ever met was a janitor on a janitorial crew, crew that I was on in college, Brother Hicks. Didn't have anything that this world counts as riches, but he was more rich toward God than any man I've met in my life. That's what God wants to give us. So I'm excited about our next podcast. We're going to look at those 21 promises Jesus makes about his word and how to bring those and apply those in your life. Honestly, they change everything. Thanks for joining us.